that sort of thing. And they were like, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to say that. And it's like, oh, come on, you're missing the whole, the whole point here. Uh, anyways, uh, people are sensitive. But anyways, it's good to see you all tonight. Um, thankful for each one of you being here. And I'm, I'm grateful that God would save such worms as us. And I think we have to understand uh, truly how wretched we are. The more, un- the more we understand our wretchedness and sinfulness, when we're saved, the more we understand God's grace and mercy and salvation. The grace and mercy of God and our salvation should never grow dim, nor should it be minimalized. Uh, we should understand completely the lengths to which God went through to save sinners, wretches, worms like us. Uh, but uh, tonight, uh, take your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter number 1 tonight. And as we turn there, I want to pray for us tonight to open things up and and I'm thankful that each one of you are here, and uh, we probably would have had a few more tonight had I not asked for volunteers to help uh, do Christmas uh, decorating tonight. But next time I'll just start saying, hey, if you come tonight, we've got cookies, right? Cookies work. And then when there's no cookies and there's only uh, some work to be done, they'll, they'll eventually stop coming. So we don't want that, but I'm thankful that you guys are here and uh, grateful. And uh, even, even if y'all weren't here, I'd still come and, and preach to Cammy, whether she liked it or not. So... Um, Anyways, but tonight we're going to be in Proverbs chapter number one, and uh, let's pray tonight and ask the Lord to help us. God, we come to you to this night. Thank you for this day of worship we've had. Lord, thankful that we can, we can laugh and we can j- rejoice in the fact that you have saved us. Uh, Lord, we're undeserving, we're, we're sinful, but Lord, it's through your grace and mercy found at the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, and what he's done for us. God, we thank you for uh, that grace and mercy that is ever available for us. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that tonight. As we open up your word, that we would have our hearts open up by your spirit and that we would receive some truth that we need tonight, Lord, to chew on this week and to apply to our hearts and lives. God, I pray that tonight, even as we are able to stay and to, to help out the church and to decorate and prepare for this Christmas season, that our hearts would be um, looking forward to the, the truths that are found at Christmas and, and so, much, so much wonderful doctrine and so many great things to, to celebrate, Lord, that you came to us when we couldn't get to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us do so with right hearts and attitudes, that we'd have good fellowship and, and a sweet spirit tonight, Lord. And, and Lord, that in everything that we say and do tonight and, and as we go throughout our week, would bring you glory and honor. We love you and we thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter number one tonight. We're going to be looking at verse 20 down through 33. It sounds like an awful lot for me to get through, but I promise you it's, it's only three short little chunks here, okay? And Sharon's already given me the stink eye, not believing me whatsoever. I promise we're going to get through tonight. Um, uh, tonight, first of all, uh, we're going to hear the whole idea of this, the rest of this. What we've seen so far in the Proverbs is this building uh, the basis of what it means to live wisely. Uh, what, uh, as Solomon here, you can imagine writing almost to his son, as we've seen here several times addressed already in this chapter, my son, my son. Uh, now he's writing to us as well. Literally, it's as if God himself is writing to us as children and saying, listen to what I have to say, and don't just, li- don't just listen but, or hear, but, but, but obey it, to believe it, to receive joyfully and gladly what I have to say, so that you will live wisely. And we've talked about and discussed this already uh, so far up to this point in the first 19 verses dealing with really the core issue that the reason why those who don't live wisely don't is because there is no fear of the Lord. The Bible says here in, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That truly sets the whole basis for not just the rest of the book of Proverbs, but truly for all of our lives. Those who don't know Christ, those who reject Christ, or those who live 
for their own will or their own ideologies or by their own uh, sort of religious thought, they are living without a true fear of the Lord, and they have got to return. They have got to see. We've dealt with this, that to truly know God is to as well have a fear of God. It is a healthy fear. It is a fear that both uh, brings this sort of understanding that we are unholy and that He is holy, but as well brings us to the understanding that that same holy God has paid the price so that we can come to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now tonight, as we get to verse 20, what then happens is there's going to be basically the rest of this chapter, this sort of illustration of wisdom acting as a street preacher, if you will, who is out on the street calling and crying out to all those who will hear to come and to understand and to obey and to live wisely. And so I want to read here, first of all, verse 20 and 21. We're going to hear wisdom's cry. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, and we'll get to the saying here in just a moment. Here, this is wisdom personified, if you will. We know wisdom is not a a necessary literal person he's referring to here. He's using an illustration to show us something greater. There's one commentator who kind of deals with all the thoughts on this uh, little verse here. He says, some interpreters regard this address as the language of the Son of God under the name of wisdom. Others think that wisdom as the divine attribute specifically employed in acts of counsel and admonition is here personified and represents God. In either case, the address is a most solemn and divine admonition whose matter and spirit are eminently evangelical and impressive. The idea here is one of a couple things happening, but at least one thing is happening, and that is wisdom is being personified as a literal preacher who is proclaiming, hear what I have to say and live by what I have to say. Uh, If you want to live wisely, and to live wisely is to go the, the narrow way, the way of life. It is to go the opposite direction of the broad way that leads to destruction. The broad way is one that is like uh, Proverbs 1.7 that despises wisdom and instruction. And it's a foolish way to go, but unfortunately, most of the world today is on that broad or foolish, destructive way. And so those who are on what we would call the narrow way or the way of faith are those who have heard the cry of wisdom and have said, hey, wisdom's right. I'm going to follow suit. I'm going to believe and, and uh, receive and, and, and live by those words. Now, I do believe this is a personification to at least some degree of picturing Christ. Uh, Jesus is one who gives wisdom, right? Was there anyone more wise on the earth than when Jesus was here? Of course not. Jesus was God, is God, always has been. So Jesus was the most wise. You can think back, I alluded a little bit to it this morning with John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus is uh, a part of the Sanhedrin, uh, which is a very small class of of Pharisees. They are the ruling class of the Pharisees. So they're, if you will, the Pharisees of the Pharisees. He is called a master teacher of Israel. So to be a master teacher of Israel means that you literally have to have, more than likely, Nicodemus had many books of the Bible memorized. He could have very well even had uh, the whole Torah memorized, the first five books uh, uh, memorized, uh, which is astounding to even think of. He certainly knew all the law. He he certainly knew all of uh, the little jots and tittles and all the do's and don'ts. Uh, But he comes to Jesus and he says to him, Jesus, I'm coming to you because clearly what you're teaching, what you're doing, 
shows that you are of God that you, I've got something to learn here. When the teacher of teachers of modern day Israel at that time is coming to Jesus, who remember Jesus was raised, of course, he was born of his virgin mother and his uh, stepdad, if you will, Joseph was a carpenter. So he has not learned uh, like uh, the religious elites have by sitting there, but he is the word of God incarnate. So he knows the word. He's the one who gave the word. He is the divine revelation of the word. And so Jesus is the one who gives wisdom, and Jesus as well is the one who lives wisdom. Did anyone live as wisely as Christ? Absolutely not. Why? Because everyone else has sinned all throughout humanity. There has only been one person in the billions of billions of people who have ever lived. Mind you, right now we've got close to about 8 billion people on this earth, and not to mention the other about 6,000 years of human history. How many billions we very well have had on this earth. Um, and, and there is every single one, except for Jesus Christ, ha- has sinned. Jesus remained uh, perfect and, and sinless. Uh, he uh, knew that there was sin literally all around. He's surrounded by sin. He's living in a world of sin. But he did not sin. So he lived wisely. He honored uh, mother and father. He did not steal. He did not have uh, any sort of uh, uh, lying or tongue. He, he had no uh, false witness. He obeyed all the law, even when a man like uh, the Pharisee of the Pharisee uh, of Nicodemus could not even do all that, although he would have said that he had done those things. So Jesus gives wisdom and Jesus lives wisdom. Now I'd say tonight as we see this call, as we see this cry of wisdom, to live wisely or is or to know wisdom is to live as Christ did and to know Christ. If we know Christ, we are then called and will naturally begin to live as Christ. Because if we are in him and abiding in him, naturally we, having a new nature and a new desire in Jesus Christ, being saved, being born again, that we will naturally desire the things that he desires. We will naturally be slowly, throughout the progression of our life, be formed and fashioned more and more into the image of Jesus Christ the Son. And so to live wisely and to know what wisdom is, is truly to know Christ and to live Christ-like. That would be the goal that probably everyone here tonight would say. I want to know Jesus, and I want to live like Jesus. Now the issue at hand in our day and age is that we've got many who would say, I want to live like Jesus because he was a good teacher and a good guy. But very few say, I want to know Jesus. Uh, There is a vast difference. There are many who want to emulate his good works and the things that he did and even some of the lessons that he taught, but that is not salvation. Salvation is knowing Christ and which then produces the living like Christ. It cannot be backwards. Backwards is false gospel and false religion. It is a false assurance. It is, I'm trying to live like Jesus did, which I never can, so that way I can think that I know him, but I don't. Matter of fact, I might think that I do, and one day he very well may look at me and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the key difference there. Now, notice this, wisdom crieth without. Crieth without literally means to give a ringing cry, to call aloud, expresses an excited exhortation. This is what preaching is, right? There is, it's been said, um, if you don't know the difference between preaching and teaching, then you've never heard preaching. And I believe that to, to be very true here. And by the way, if wisdom here is very much a personification of Jesus, then it is a personification of the greatest preacher to have ever lived. No one preaches the word of God better than the son of God. 
No one preaches the Word of God better than the Word of God Himself. And so as we look and we see wisdom cry without, wisdom is crying out to all of us so that all would hear. It is, uh, I have here on the pulpit, I always keep, I keep two verses up here. I keep 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And then over here, I keep Isaiah 58.1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I keep those there for a reminder that for me, every time I stand behind this, that's my job. That's my calling to, to live up to what this says. And as well for whoever else will stand behind this, that they know this is what you are called to do. Open up the book and, and to cry out, to preach it. it. It shows that wisdom is unashamed because wisdom knows what wisdom is. Wisdom is pointing and directing all that will hear wisdom's voice and cry to the Lord. And so there should be no shame with that, as, as well as it is ringing out and calling out so that all can hear and so that all can come. That's the goal of, of every preacher, isn't it? For all to come and for all to hear. Now, there are many who come, or sometimes there's few who come, and there are even less sometimes who do hear. But we want all to come and we want all to hear. That's the goal here. Now, it says, and she uttereth her voice in the street. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse and the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words. The idea here is that, uh, as one commentator writes, and this wisdom is said to cry with a loud voice, to, into, uh, to uh, imitate both God's earnestness in inviting sinners to repentance and their uh, inexcusableness if they do not hear such loud cries. The idea is that God, literally from out all eternity, has been calling out to the lost world and inviting them to be saved, to come all who are thirsty, to come all who are weary, to come all who need salvation, all who need forgiveness. And by the way, the all is all. All need forgiveness. All need salvation. So the, the cry is, is going out so that all would hear and so that all would come. But what we're going to see in this passage is that while wisdom is literally on the street, you can imagine standing on a, on a box and crying out, listen, hear my words, hear what I have to say, uh, repent, as we're going to see here in just a few moments. And, and many people continue just to walk on by. It's the idea. Very few will stop and listen. Those that stop and listen and hear and are changed by it are those who are the household of faith. As another commentator writes, the location of this exhortation is in the public places, in the street, the public squares, the gateway, suggesting that wisdom is readily available for the business of living. It is for the common person, not just the scholarly exclusively. These places were the centers for all activities. Daily affairs, according to 2 Kings, justice, Ruth 4, employment, Matthew 20, and even playing, Zechariah 8. Since wisdom touches all aspects of life, the setting is appropriate. Here, wisdom, like a, pri uh, like a prophet, calls out. What we see is, and as this author points out, that the prophets of the Old Testament the vast majority of their ministry was not going, uh, let's see, what's going to happen in the future? Let me think of something. Okay, that wasn't it. The vast majority of their ministry was literally to stand up in a street and cry out, repent. That was the message. It always has been. Repent and call upon the Lord. That has always been the message of every preacher. The, the prophetic ministry for these Old Testament saints, the vast majority uh, was not foretelling the future, but rather saying, repent and believe now. 
Now is the appointed hour. Now, today is the day of salvation. They were preachers first. I believe these Old Testament prophets are, are pastors, heroes, as they should be. Many of them face such, such crowds where they would literally be preaching and preaching and preaching to their own people who knew the same Bible that they did, knew the same books that they did, knew the same truths, the same God that they did. And as the Scripture would say, they would have ears that were dull or heads or necks that were stiffened, hearts that were turned to stone. They, they wanted nothing to do with it. Even told, some prophets told, you're going to preach and nobody's going to listen. Could you imagine that first day of like Bible college? And you're, you're told, hey, this is going to be great. You're going to learn all this stuff. And then when you go out, no one's going to listen to what you have to say. And you're going to have a great ministry. It's going to be wonderful. Right? That doesn't happen in Bible college. As a matter of fact, they, they train you and teach you to think that as soon as you get out, you're going to go and be the, the next Billy Sunday or something and change the world and, and uh, you know, be this fine preacher and all this stuff. And, and then you realize after about six seconds out of Bible college, oh, no, that's not the case at all. And then you, you preach for about six years and you go, oh, still not the case at all. But you see how God blesses and God uses us and God helps and, and that all God calls us to do is to stand and to cry out. It is God who affects the hearts of those who are passing by. It's nothing that I can do. All that I'm able to do, like wisdom here, is to simply cry out this open invitation, and all those who will come will come. It is God who will give the increase. It is God who is the only one that can change a heart. It is God alone who can reach down and take a, a dead heart and, and turn it into a heart of flesh to receive the word of God. It, it is only God that can do it. He just uses worms like me and many others to simply open up the book and to cry out. But that gives such freedom. Because this tells me that every time that I open up the Word of God and I preach, whether there's two people, 200 people, 2,000 people, 2 million people, or just me, that God will have a work to be done because it is God's Word. It will not return void. And what God decides is going to happen, God's going to take care of it. It takes the pressure off. This means that, you know, every time that we go to preach, and I know I'm talking to you guys, but every time we go to preach or to hear preaching, we're always looking to swing for the fences, and sometimes we're just hoping to get hit by the ball to take a pace. But many times we're always swinging for the fences, and we don't hit home runs all the time. Sometimes it feels like we strike out, but I've had some of the times where I, I step down from here and I go, swing and a miss. <laughs> but then I've had someone at the back door who said, that was just for me, I, I, that, that changed my heart today and you go well see <laughs> it, God can take my swing and a miss and he hits the nail on the head he hits the God hits the home run every time right, every time so wisdom here is crying out wisdom is preaching wisdom for all to hear to receive and to obey it is not the call just to those who are scholarly to those who are rich to those who look right act like act right talk right to those who dress right wisdom is calling out to the beggar who is sitting on the corner getting mocked and ridiculed uh, with, a, with just a, a cup hoping someone might drop a coin in. Wisdom is also crying out for the religious Pharisee or elitist who is walking by in all of his robes and garments reciting the, the many scriptures that he has memorized while showboating how much he gives or is about to give as he approaches the temple. Wisdom is the same one that is crying out for everyone else in between who is just trying to live their day-to-day -day life trying to make sure that they can provide for their family. And that's who this is for. It is for everyone to hear, to listen, to hear, to receive, and to obey. When wisdom is preached or spoken, will we hear it? 
You see, imagine us tonight. Not many people, unfortunately, but believe in street preaching anymore. It used to happen a, a good bit and still does in some places. As a matter of fact, much of it is being outlawed, fined, jailed for many street preachers. Um, it's happened many times to, to many already in Europe, other nations and countries where there's persecution. To street preach means that you could very well be beaten with clubs. Um, I know of some missionaries who have preached uh, in the streets of India and have uh, been set on fire, who have been beaten with clubs, who have been jailed, who have been threatened and stabbed, and all of these things. That's as well starting to happen in Western European, civilized European countries that we would call, where for street preaching, the simple truth of God's Word, just opening up the Bible and to read it, even certain parts, there have been those who have uh, been locked up for it. So it's not quite popular today, but you can imagine uh, as you're going along this sort of busy hustle and bustle sort of city, People are going this way and that way. They are all have the, on their mind something to do. They've got their agenda. They've got their, their problems that they're carrying. They're thinking to themselves. They're having conversations. But above all the noise of this city, above all the noise of this town square, which is what is described here, she cries in the chief place of the concourse and the openings of the gates. It is the idea of wherever the people are, which you're going to find the people in these ancient times in one or two places. In the city square, because that's where all the shopping is, right? That's what you and I would call you know, downtown. Maybe not our downtown, but that's what we call the Walmart, okay? <laughs> that's Walmart or Dollar General now, all right? But for them, they're either there or they're going to be at the gates. They're coming in and out of the city. That's where they're going to be. So that's where the preachers are, right? If you want to catch a fish, go where the fish are, right? Okay, y'all know that? Are you doing fish? Okay, you got to go to the water, all right? You got to go to the water, all right? That's where it is. Here, the fish, they're either at the gates or they're at the local, the local ancient Middle Eastern Walmart Dollar General here, okay? And he goes and he's preaching. And above all the noise of everything that's happening, the exchanging of money, the exchanging of words, the hustle and bustle and the shuffle of sandals on the dusty roads and the, the noises of camels and donkeys and everything else going by, you hear wisdom crying out these words. Wisdom's concern is then seen in verse 22 down through 28. It says, you can hear throughout all that hustle and bustle. Above it all, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity and their scorners delight and their scorning and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh when your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Let's stop there. It's a grave message. Every prophet of the Old Testament, very rare do we find them giving this message of, hey, everything's going to be great, guys. Normally, they give the message first of repent or else it's going to be real bad. You'll go into the captivity. You'll be judged. Many of you will die. And then they go, but God has also said that you're going to go into captivity and that's bad, but he's going to bring you out because he's the faithful covenant keeping God. And one day it's all going to be all right. He will bring a new heavens and a new earth and, and usher in the kingdom. And everything will be great. And so there's good and there's bad. But here what happens, first of all, he addresses three types of people. And as you can imagine, you would think about all the different types of people that you might have rich, you might have poor, you might have religious, you might have not spiritual, walking by the street preacher as he's crying out, as wisdom himself is, is crying out. 
But here, there's three people that are described in verse number 22. First of all, the simple ones. The simple ones are ones who are inexperienced in life. They are naive or ignorant, especially in regard to God's law and wisdom. These are those who uh, are simple-minded, if you will. Simple-minded especially to to the the Bible or to God's Word or to to wise living. They would be the ones who would say, I'm doing the best I can. Right? I'm trying real hard. Or, you know, I just don't know. They would be also the same ones that we would say, the, the old, fairy, old phrase, um, ignorance is bliss. Right? People love to be ignorant because it's quite blissful. And I can tell you this, the less you know about the news, the probably the happier that you'll be. But when it comes to the world, when it comes to the things of the Scripture, the less you know about God, you will not be happier for that. Now, the reason why many people don't want to go into the deep things of God, because ignorance is bliss in the sense that they don't want the accountability of such. That's the real issue. The real issue, spiritually speaking, the reason why we don't go deeper than we do, the reason why we don't uh, seek the Lord as much as we should or as hard as we should, the reason why we don't take holiness so seriously, the reason why we don't take the fear of the Lord as has already been addressed in this chapter so seriously is because we don't want the accountability of knowing those things. Because if I know it, then that means i got to obey it. Right? If I know that it's not just pastor or deacon or missionary's job to win souls, that it's my job, well, then that means i got to go do that. I don't want to do all that. Right? I don't like people. I, I, I don't like talking to strangers. What if I mess up? What if I do this? What if I do that? All those things. It is man's natural sinful response in our flesh to try to ignore God's command as well as to not be accountable to God. The real reason why there are those who would call themselves atheists today is not because they actually think that there is not a God. It is because they don't want to be accountable to that God. They very much know that God is there because they know when they say that they don't believe in God, they're not talking about the gods and goddesses of the idolatrous world around us. They always go back to the God of the Bible. The reason why everyone who addresses themselves as an atheist deals specifically with the God of the Bible is because they know that the God of the Bible is the only one true God. It is written upon our hearts. The law of God is manifest upon us. We know that it's there. We have God's law written upon our hearts. We know right from wrong. It has been revealed from creation. It has been revealed in the scripture. And the evidence is there, but the issue is that we want to remain simple. We want to remain ignorant of what God has to say so that we might not have to stand before him. But regardless of whether you are simple-minded or not, you will stand before God. The second group of people, it says, uh, excuse me, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? Right? Ignorance is bliss. They love that state that they are in. The second people is the scorners. This is in the scorners' delight in their scorning. As one commentator writes, the scorners are, it's the idea of those who are defiant, or a cynical free thinker. It means that they want their own ability to choose, decide. That trumps everything else. It is the idea of, I, I can decide what is true. I can decide what is right. I can decide what is wrong. No God can tell me. No Bible can tell me. I make that decision. The, the issue is that many don't want to be uh, held to the truth that is found according to God and according to His Word alone. So, they say, well, I, I will choose to go against it. I will choose to do my own thing. They delight and openly mock. They believe this is sort of even the Gnostic mentality of believing, well, sure, you can have that sort of stuff, but I have, 
a higher knowledge, or I have a better knowledge, or a better understanding outside of the parameters of the Scripture. They openly reject and mock the truth due to self-pride. So the simple ones, as you can imagine, as they hear the street preacher wisdom, as they're going by, the simple ones hear, and they go, la, 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 la. Right? They don't want to hear. Right? They're the ones that they I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what he has to say, because if I hear what he has to say, and it's true, and I've got to obey that, and it's going to change how my life is. And I don't want that. I don't want my life to change. I like my life how it is. I like to wake up, eat the same slice of toast with peanut butter. I like to go to work, clock in at 8 o'clock, clock out, uh, come home, uh, eat the same pot roast meal, watch Jeopardy, take a bath, go to bed. That's it, right? Every day, sun up, sun up. That's it. That's all we do, right? That's what they want. They want nothing else. But then you've got the scorners. And these are the people who don't walk. They walk by and they hear what has to be said. And they say, oh, hush up, preacher. And they say, oh, you, baloney. Don't tell these people that. And they keep on their way. They go, I'm going to live how I want. You can't tell me. And they're telling this to wisdom. They're telling this to Christ. The world today is saying the same thing to God every time the word is open. The sad truth, though, is that there are many who claim to know Christ who do the same thing. They are either one going, I don't want to know. Or they're going, well, what right do you have to tell me? I, I can have Jesus and have whatever else as well. That's not the case. Third, we have the fools. It says, and the fools hate knowledge. The scorners delight their scorning. They think they're great. But the fools hate knowledge. The idea is that they are completely morally insensitive. And they totally reject God's wisdom. They hear it and they say, it's true but I don't want it to be. It's true, but I won't bow my knee. They're the ones that would be the type that if there was a grand caravan coming through with royalty, that they would go, I am bound for him. And they're the ones who hear wisdom's cry and say, I will not bow my knee to that. I bow my knee to no one except for me. They're the ones that would say that they are their own captain of their soul. They would be the ones that say that they are the ones that uh, turn their ship whichever way it's, it will go. They are the ones that will say that they have their own ability to save themselves or that they have no need to be saved. They are fools. As the Bible tells us in Psalms, there's a fool who has said in his heart that there is no God. It is a foolish thing to despise and to hate the wisdom and knowledge and instruction of God. Now, wisdom's cry is very simple here, the same as the Old Testament prophets. I believe as well as the same as the, the first century church. And the same as uh, the true church of God that has been preaching for some 2,000 years. Repent and believe. There truly is no other message to be preached except repent and believe. It is the ailment not just for our salvation, but as well as for our sanctification. Because my sin and my sanctifying walk, when I do sin, it's because I like sin and I want to sin. But my response from my sin should be to repent, to turn from it, to confess it to Christ. And to believe once more that He is sufficient, that He is enough, that He is all that I need, and that I don't need that sin in my life to make me feel good or to fill a hole in my heart. Rather, that Christ has accomplished and filled it all. Repent, He says in verse 23, turn you at my reproof. He, he's very direct here. And that is one thing that street preachers have going for them, is that they've got a short amount of time, a short window, and they know that they've got to hit the target right now. The people are passing by, and he says to them, not, hey, do you want to listen to what I have to say? Do you want to hold hands, sing kumbaya? Do you want to try to turn your life around? Do you want to give you three easy steps to be a better this or a better that? No, he says, repent. That's the message. 
He says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. He says that I'm offering wisdom here. This is a public call for the three types of people that we just talked about in verse 22 to repent of their foolishness and to repent of their unwise ways. The same cry is heard today. Wisdom's call, wisdom's cry has always been from the very beginning to the very last of days, repent and believe. Wisdom, or Christ himself, desires that we would turn from our own wisdom and repentfully receive him. As we read through this, he's literally as if he's reaching out his hand. Won't you believe? Won't you hear what I have to say? Won't you join me? Won't you uh, come and, and be forgiven? Offering his hand out, come, come. And the people keep walking by either the nope or the nope, right? That's it. It want nothing to do with what wisdom has to say. And, and today we find that same mentality. David uh, Sorensen writes, The counsel of God personified in wisdom is to turn at his reproof. The idea of repentance, turning back to God, that call remains to this day. A wicked and Christ-rejecting world to this day is called to turn to God. And for the minority that do, God promises to pour out the blessing of His Spirit and to teach His Word to them. Notice that God actually refers to His words. The very words of God are inspired and remain important. Beware of those who would diminish the very words of God. Notice wisdom does not say, hey, come and I'll tell you how you should feel. He says, come, repent, and I'll show you what you need to know. I'll give you the wisdom that you need to live your life. To you who are foolish, to you who are scornful, to you who are, are simple, I will give you the wisdom that you need, not just for this life, but truly for the next, to prepare us for that. Because if you're not prepared in this life, you will not be prepared for the next. What you do with wisdom, what you do with Christ in this life determines your next. And there is no second opportunity. You can imagine the urgency of this preacher wisdom in the streets who's crying out as these people are walking by. He knows the urgency. He, he, he knows the time is short. He knows that their time is short. He knows that they must repent and believe. That they must receive this word of which he's saying. And that he's offering it to all of them. There's none who would be left out if they would simply stop for just a moment in their busy life. Open up not just the ears of their physical body, but open up the ears of their spiritual heart. Very few as they're walking by will stop. And it's because God will unstop their ears or uncork them, if you will, and their hearts will be turned and changed. And that is the very few minority. And to those, he says, I will pour out my spirit. I will give you these words. But then in verse 24, because I have called and he refused. See, wisdom is continuously offered, but continuously rejected. This is the same guy who you can imagine on the street corner preaching and passing out tracts all day long just to be ignored or, or ridiculed all day. He's given out tracks, and as soon as he gives out a track, they take another five steps and throw it in the trash can. Or the scorner might take the track and ball it up and throw it back at the guy, all the while cursing or, or ridiculing him. And all the while, this man wisdom keeps on preaching. Nothing stops him because he knows the urgency. He knows the need. He, he sees the need all around him, and nothing will stop him from proclaiming and inviting these people to know God. But continuously, it will be offered but continuously it will be rejected. When we look at the grand scope of history of the Bible and of human history, God has always and continuously offered himself to people and they have continuously rejected his offer. That's the way it has always worked. There in the garden, the same thing takes place. God offers himself 
and the garden itself. Should have been enough. A perfect place, a perfect God, only one rule, a perfect wife, a perfect husband. They, there was no sin. They, they were birth. It was a perfect relationship. And guess what? They sinned because God wasn't enough. You fast forward to today, the same thing happens. God has offered Himself. As a matter of fact, you go to, to Jesus' life. He comes unto His own, and His own receive Him not. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, stricken. They viewed Him as a, a crazy man. They viewed Him as some sort of uh, uh, heretic or even filled of devils, even a drunkard or a glutton or a sinner. He comes and is rejected. And today we preach and we preach and we preach and we tell and we tell and we tell and rejection after rejection after rejection. But we do know this. It will only last for so long. As one commentator writes about this, as we see here in the Scripture, he, he describes, he says, I've given you all this opportunity, he says, but one day your time will come and I, I'll laugh at the calamity. I, I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, when destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. And perhaps the most frightening words in the Scripture that is found here in a multitude of other places as well, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. There is coming a day for many who will continuously reject Christ. and He will not answer. That's a frightening thing. It is a sobering thing to realize this, that your job and my job is simply to keep calling and to keep calling and to keep calling. But one day, the last call will happen. One day, the final call will take place and there will be no more going, oh, but wait, God. You can put it into perspective this way. I can imagine Noah who preached for 120 years. That's what that scripture means there in Genesis 6. Uh, where it gave him 120 years, it didn't mean that it was, you know, you could only live 120 years. Rather, it was, you got 120 years before the flood comes. It was preaching. So for 120 years, him and his kids, they're building this boat. And all the while, he's preaching righteousness, which is another way of saying he's preaching what wisdom is preaching. Repent. Be prepared. A flood's coming. Wrath is coming. Judgment's coming. And unless you get in this boat, you're going to die. And they go either la, 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 or nope. They don't want to hear it. But you can imagine the Bible does not tell us, however. But you could almost imagine the door gets closed, the rain starts to fall. Hey, Noah, uh, I was just kidding, man. Why don't you let me in? Hey, Noah, Noah, we, we've never seen rain before. Noah, it's getting really bad, and now the frantic knocking happens over and over again, and the door never comes open. One, because Noah didn't open and close it himself. It was God who did. It was God who said, come in with me. He was already there, a picture of, of Christ. But what we see is that Noah could do nothing else. God had given 120 years of letting these people hear and to hear the call of wisdom. None would receive. And you can imagine, and the Bible does not tell us even, <clears throat> but the, the horror that this verse gives to us that they'll call and won't get an answer. They shall seek me early. They shall not find me. He's about to give us the reason here in just a moment. As one commentator writes about this, because wisdom has been continually rejected, she will laugh at the calamity of those who have rejected it. Wisdom will not laugh at the disaster, but at the confirmation of what is right over what is wrong at the time of disaster. But then verse 28 explains the meaning of the mocking. Wisdom will not be there to help when the fools cry out for their, their, from their distress. 
The figure of laughing reveals the absurdity of choosing a foolish way of life and being totally unprepared for disaster. It's been said like the prophet calling out to those who will hear. Wisdom cries out, but the opportunity to respond is limited. Hear it now. And verse 29 to 33 gives us wisdom's consequences. Verse 29, the reason why, he says, they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they will not find me. Verse 29, for or because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Here, the author points straight back to verse 7, really the, the point and the driving force of this whole book and really of all of our life, how important the fear of the Lord is. Because these people continue to walk by without the fear of the Lord in their heart, they either stop up their ears or they thumb their nose at wisdom as she cries out in the streets. Because they have no fear of the Lord. Unrepentance brings judgment. Fools are the cause of their own judgment. Look at this. He says, They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet in the fear of evil. Bridges writes, The reason for the sinner's ruin is placed again at his own door. He is wayward since he turns away from wisdom's beckoning voice. He despises the only cure. The idea here is that the fool will die unregenerate, lost and undone, not because God is cruel or unable or unwilling to forgive them, but rather because they refuse to answer the call. Their own foolish ways will be their own demise. It's the same idea of the word reprobate. What it means to be a reprobate there in Romans chapter 1, as God gives them over to a reprobate mind, it is that not just that sin is the cause, but sin itself is also the consequence that they continuously live in the sinful life that brings about their own destruction. So their own way of life that is destructive, that they need out of and they need cured, but they don't see that need, will eventually be their own demise and fall. Now the Psalms that we had dealt with uh, over the past couple of months and, and up to this point as well in Proverbs deals with that, that the fool will be his own undoing. This is why it is so important to understand the fear of the Lord because it is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction the root is a rejection of the knowledge and fear of the lord but look at verse 33 repentance though brings safety as Sorensen writes once again the dual thought of wisdom as well as the one personified in wisdom are in view those who hearken to wisdom in this life will live a quiet life without fear of trouble and those who hearken to christ the personification of wisdom will dwell safely for all eternity and not fear the wrath of god in hell it says, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. You know what everybody's looking for in this life? Safety, or what we would call peace. Looking for peace in their heart, peace in their homes, peace in their life, their work, their everything. Peace for eternity, peace for the next few years, peace for retirement, peace of mind, peace of the pie, I don't know, peace of everything, right? They want peace. They want safety. And the only way that they will get that peace, the only way that they will get that safety is by not just listening to the word, or rather, excuse me, not just hearing the words, but listening to the words, by obeying the words, by believing the words of wisdom that is offered here, by accepting the cry of repentance 
and faith. It says, and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Meaning there will be peace, there will be faith, there will not be fear. But tonight, I know that tonight I'm more than likely speaking to a vast majority of those who would know Christ and do know Him and walk with Him and serve Him and all those wonderful things. That's one of the great things about a Sunday night crowd is, normally speaking, it's sort of a, a core group. It's those who truly do love the Lord and, and they want to know Him more. But the same call is for us all tonight. Regardless of how long you've known God, regardless of how long you've followed the Lord, tonight the call is the same. Wisdom is being offered to us. And there are moments where we do not live wisely. And the real reason is because we have rejected or have misunderstood the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So tonight, may we hear the call of wisdom. May we hear the cry. May we as well hear the invitation. And may we accept it with hearts of faith that we might live wisely, but that we might as well one day dwell in the peace and safety of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be with Him forevermore. That's wise living both now and for eternity. Wisdom has cried. Will we hear her call? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this night. We thank You for this time. I'm grateful for Your Word. Thankful for all that You've done for us. I pray, God, that we would be obedient and faithful to Your Word as You are faithful to us. And I pray that You would uh, go with each person now, keep them safe. I pray that You would bless them and encourage them, use them throughout this week, and that we might meditate upon Your Word. And Lord, as well tonight, that we might accomplish some things uh, for this building. And Lord, that we might prepare our hearts as well for this Christmas season. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, God, for who you are, for what you've done. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, I'm no longer in charge. Miss Shirley's now in charge. All right.